within the heart of each of us is the desire to explore, to venture out, to leave behind the ordinary and find something new. New places, new paths, new challenges. We look for adventure and for a tomorrow that asks more of us than today. We want to hear the wind in the trees. We want to look out across the expanses. We want to take in the beauty around us and find the thrill the average person never does. So we set out to find a better way in our relationships, in our pursuits, and in our faith. Life Trails, take the next step. noticed how people walk at different speeds and there's no place where that's more evident than if you go to the shopping mall and I don't know what it is about the shopping mall but the people who are the slowest walkers make sure that they get like five or six or eight or 15 or 20 abreast and just saunter through the malls and, and sometimes I look at those people and think if they went any slower they'd actually be going backwards well, in my family, there's a person who is known for the, the speed at which they walk, and it's not exactly slow. In fact, it's rather rapid. In fact, if you go to the mall with this person, hang on, because it's kind of like going through, it's, it's like NASCAR in shoes. And uh, so you're weaving in and out of people, and you're passing on the left, and you're passing on the right, and you're going high up on the banks. And it's everything you can do just to try to keep up with that person and not get cut off. And, and sometimes, you know, they're way ahead, and you're kind of like hoping they, they take a pit stop so you have some chance at, at catching up and, and catching your breath and, and maybe actually walking with them through the rest of the mob. For some people, walking fast is a habit. For other people, walking fast is actually a life choice. Because they are what we call power walkers. Are you familiar with power walking? And the idea of power walking is that you walk fast on purpose for the exercise of it. Now, most of us, if we walked, we could probably walk a mile in about 20 minutes. That'd be pretty typical for pretty much anybody in this room. Uh, if you're really pushing it, you can get it down there to 15, 16, 17 minutes per mile. For a good power walker, they can actually get those numbers down under 15 minutes per mile. In fact, some of them who are competitive can get down under 10, uh, a 10-minute 10 mile, which when I jog, I jog at a little bit over a 10-minute pace. So I was just thinking about that, where I'm jogging down the street and somebody walks past me. It's a little bit insulting, isn't it? But I was thinking about this uh, idea of... Uh, power walking and wondering if there's anything comparable to it when it comes to hiking. And we've been on this hiking theme throughout the, the whole year. And I decided, you know, I'm going to look this up and see if there's something called power hiking. Well, there is and there isn't, but it's a little bit different. So the extreme version of walking would be power walking. The extreme version of hiking would actually be trail running. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. But this is where people are not content just to walk on these scary, rugged, up and down trails. They run them to see how fast they can cover these trails. And some of these people actually compete in races. Now, these are not just like, you know, 5K. These are 35 to 50 mile races in where they go across these trails. Now, when they race, though, they use special shoes that are called trail runners. And these are actually my hiking shoes. 
Um, but they're actually trail runners. It's not because I go very fast in these. It's just because I think they look a whole lot cooler and sleeker than hiking boots. And especially blue. I decided back about a year ago that life is too short to wear boring hiking shoes. And so I bought these bright blue ones with the green laces. But these are a little bit different from tennis shoes in that the soles are pretty rigid and pretty stiff. And they've got all kinds of like grip stuff on them. And the toes are rigid too. So like if you're pounding into rocks, you're not going to injure yourself. So you can run with these trail runners, but you run in these special races. And when you do that, you can use a special technique that's called power hiking. And the technique of power hiking is this. It's when you are running up and down these trails that are really rugged, but when you get to a steep incline, you stop running and you hike it instead. So instead of seeing how fast you can run up this, this steep hill, you actually walk up the hill, and by doing so, you conserve energy that you can actually use later on in these races, and they have proven that if people will walk up the hills in these trail races, they actually will finish with better times. Crazy, isn't it? A little bit counterintuitive. And I share that this morning for two reasons. First of all, as we talk about crosswalking, and we're going to wrap up our series here this morning. When we talk about crosswalking, it requires power. And it requires strength and endurance and stamina and all those things. And so, so that's what our theme is here this morning. But secondly, I share that this morning because when we think about power, it's very counterintuitive to what you might imagine. So holding on to that thought, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you do that, you can look that up on your device or if you want to, there's a Bible in front of you there, uh, the red Bible in the uh, rack in front of you. But let me just review quickly where we've been in this series. We talked about crosswalking. The idea is simply this, that we want to walk to the cross of Christ. And as we look at the cross of Christ, we see things about the crucifixion. Specifically, we see things about Christ that inspires us to want to walk a different way on from the cross. And so the, the first week, Mark got us started out by talking about seeing Christ in his humility and we walk on from the cross in humility. And we've talked about walking on from the cross in trust and walking on from the cross in deference to people. Last week, we talked about walking on from the cross in hope. But the idea that for most of us that we get is like, okay, I come to the cross of Christ, I see what Jesus is, and like, oh, I need to change the way that I'm acting here, or I need to do better, or I need to improve in this way as I walk on from the cross. Except that's not exactly correct. In fact, the way that we're supposed to walk on from the cross is a little bit counterintuitive because it's this. I don't walk on in humility and in, in, in deference and all these different things, but by increasing my efforts, I actually walk on from the cross by the power that comes through the cross itself. And it's not me changing my behavior, it's actually the cross that changes me. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians here, calls it the power of the cross. The power of the cross means that we're not just trying on our own to becoming better people or trying to change ourselves. Because if we do that, we just resort to what I would call morality. It's where I change my behavior. Sometimes in the church we call it spirituality, but it's not necessarily spirituality. It's just me working harder at being a better person. And the problem with that is oftentimes if I can get there, and sometimes you can, 
But if I can get there, I have the tendency to become a little bit self-righteous. And to become a little bit impressed with myself and say, well, check this out. I've, I've really gotten good at this humility. Think about that one. But uh, you know, I've really gotten good at this deference. I've really gotten good at things. And we've become self-righteous. But in our self-righteousness, then we start to become judgmental. Well, I'm getting really good at this. What's your problem? Or we use it to validate ourselves. Well, I'm doing pretty good at this. Well, check out that guy over there. <laughs> He's really struggling there. So... Yeah, check this out, I'm, I'm doing well here. And it becomes something we validate with ourselves, but here's the biggest problem. It's hard to keep up. And we have a tendency to become weary with this, and then we become weary, sometimes we mess up, and then we mess up, we beat ourselves up over this, and, and it's like, it just becomes self-defeating in the process. And that's what it often looks like when we walk out from the cross, but in our own power. So this morning, what we want to talk about is something counterintuitive, and that's walking in a power that's not really ours, and walking in a power that's, about, that's not about making more effort. So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here, and Paul calls it the power of the cross. The power of the cross. What in the world is he talking about? And when I look at that term, I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what the power of the cross is. And, and to me, it's a little bit hard to comprehend, to get our heads around. Because it seems kind of like cliche. Okay, you go to church and they talk about talking the power, walking the power of the cross. Okay, let's all go do that. But we have no idea how we're supposed to do that. And it's a little bit nebulous and it's a little bit abstract. And it's hard for me to get my head around that. Well, in Paul's day, when he's actually writing this letter to the Corinthians, they were struggling to get their heads around it too, but for an entirely different reason. And the reason that they were struggling to get their heads around it is because to them, the cross suggested anything but power. In fact, the cross was the ultimate loss of power because when they put you on a cross, it was a very common form of execution in that day. When they put you on a cross... Your power was done. You were dying. It was the end of you. And so it was execution, but it was also humiliation and degradation in the process. And the cross was the most powerless thing in society that day. And then Paul shows up and says, okay, now let's talk about the power of the cross. Now, he's specifically talking about the cross of Christ. But let's read this passage here. See if we can unpack it a little bit and then see how we can unleash this power in our life. Now, let me just tell you before we dive in. Everybody's just looking down and looking up, and I keep interrupting, sorry. Uh, we're going to go to verse number 17 is where we're starting. But when we read through this this morning, if you sit there and think, huh, I don't get that, you're not going to be alone. Because I read through that this week, and I was like, huh, I don't get that. And I read it again, I read it again. And I've been through this passage many times this week. And just to try to have this kind of make sense, takes some effort. And we're going to work on that this morning. But if you read this, don't panic if you're like, I have no idea what that's talking about, okay? Verse number 17. For Christ, Paul speaking here to the Corinthians, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And there we're introduced to this idea that the cross has power. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but the message of the cross is for those of us who are being saved, the power of God. So a second time there, he mentions the cross and its power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, 
and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, which would be the cross, to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, that's foolishness. But to those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks alike, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. And three times to there specifically, he talks about the power of the cross. But what is it? Well, to get a handle on what the power of the cross is, we need to look at the context. And anytime we're dealing with Scripture, especially when we're dealing with Scripture that's hard to understand, we have to step back and say, what is the bigger picture here? And so we use that word context, but there's a lot of different ways that we refer to context. First of all, we talk about context just in the course of the purpose of what's being said. So context here would be Paul's writing to the Corinthians. What is he writing to them about? And that gives us an idea of context. Then we look at historical context. And we've talked about that a little bit already. The historical context of the day was the fact that the cross meant death and loss of power. And then we can move on and we can actually talk about the, um, the grammatical or, or the, uh, the, the textual context where you're looking at the, the passage and then if you don't understand it, you keep expanding it. So you look what came before it, what comes after it. And by Opening up the lens on the passage, it gives you a clearer picture of what's going on. So to look at the context, the purpose, why Paul wrote this letter, is because this was a church that wasn't doing very well. And this was a church that had a lot of problems. And Paul was actually correcting their behavior and saying, hey, stop acting this way and actually stop thinking this way. And so as we read this, this is in correction mode. Paul's trying to correct something. The historical context is that the cross was repulsive to most people, but the context of the passage that we widen it out is dealing with divisions in the church. And this is a church where the people that attended can't get along with each other. And it's kind of crazy what the issue is here. And if we back up to verse number 10, we get a handle on that. It says this, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So I'm writing to you because you're all going in different directions here and you're all battling each other. Now here's the issue. Verse number 11. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. I hear this, that each of you or, or some of you says, well, I am of Paul. Or I am of Apollos. Or I am of Cephas or Peter. And then the super spiritual among you say, well, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And what's going on in this church is they're all lining up with different leaders. Oh, I follow Paul. So yes, everybody who's on Paul's team, come over here and let's stand here. And in the process, we're going to look down on you because you're on the Apollos team, who was one of the leaders in the church there at Corinth. Or, or oh, you follow Peter. And, and there's everybody's battling with each other. And the way that they're battling is by lining up with these leaders. And they're all good. I mean, Paul's a good leader. 
Peter's a good leader. Apollos was a good leader. And Jesus definitely was a good leader too. But they're all lining up with these different people. And Paul goes on there, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. In other words, I'm glad that there's nobody else on my team because I baptized you. Lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Forgot about them. Besides, I don't know that. I don't think I baptized anybody else. But they were fighting about which leader to follow, but why? They were fighting about which leader to follow, first of all, because of pride. And they could say, well, I follow Paul, so that means that I've chosen the right one. And it became a matter of rightness or pride. And so they could say, hey, look at us. Look at me. I've got this figured out. I am doing what the right thing is here. Some of them were jockeying for position, though. Because if I could line up with the right leader, that would elevate me in the church, and that would give me more prestige. And actually, hopefully, it'll give me my, more power, and it'll give me more perks. And I actually will benefit here. Now, what we know about the church in Corinth, in fact, we can read it in this passage, and as we continue on here, is that they were just common people. There were not elites in this church. It was just the average Joe that would go off to work and come home. And a lot of them saw then that the opportunity to use who they followed in the church as a way to validate themselves, to elevate themselves, to give themselves a little bit of a spiritual ego boost. And this is what Paul is after. He's after their power that they're pursuing. Does that sound familiar? Check out power in today's world. We've already had a great example. Mark's already mentioned that we need to be praying for what's going on in Ukraine. And one person's bloodthirsty lust for power is destroying the lives of countless thousands. That's what it is. And we see that in the world, in power, and not everybody is quite as crazy as we see there, but power makes people feel important. And power is, is what people use to validate themselves. Sometimes power is what they use to indulge themselves. And we all have this desire, I think, that's innate even in us, that we want to have more power. But we also see it in the Christian world as well. And who we follow. In fact, we see this right now where people line up behind spiritual leaders. And we have the celebrityism of the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, you know what? Let's not do this. Let's not find our importance in people. And let's not pursue power. Instead, what we need to do is we need to go back to the cross. Now that didn't make much sense to those people, and Paul admits as, as much. In fact, he says this, if you look in verse number 23, he says, we preach, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, that's going to be a stumbling block. In fact, the literal word there is to the Jews, that's going to be a scandal. Why? Because if you want to claim that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the one who's bringing in the kingdom, Jesus is the one who has all the power, the fact that you just put him on a cross and he died, that's an insult. That's not a leader, that's a loser. And so the Jews would have been very much offended by that. He goes on there and says, to the Greeks, it would be foolish. Because in the Greco-Roman world at that time, it was all about the pursuit of self. And it was all about um, uh, the mastery of self, or the edification of self, or the honor that came with it. And so a title, or a position, or a name, 
or the power that came from that was something that was very much to be, that was what the, the values of society were. And, and you see, we see the philosophers of those days, was, you know, starting to come out and, and all of that thing because it was all about lifting up the self. And Paul says, so I get it. To the Jews, they're offended if you say the cross because, you know, the Messiah was a weakling. And to the Greeks, I get it if you're all offended about the cross because that's like the, the absolute opposite of lifting yourself up. But they didn't understand what the power was about. And so let's walk through that this morning a little bit here and talk about this power. First of all, this cross has the power to defeat sin. The power has, the, the cross has the power to be sin. And we often think about this and the fact that when Jesus went to the cross and when he was nailed to the cross, that it was Jesus who was nailed to the cross. Yes, it was. But what was nailed to the cross on Jesus or in Jesus was actually our sin. And so it would be fair to say that the cross was the place that sin was nailed to and where sin was killed. That's pretty powerful to think about. Because when Jesus accepted that penalty of sin, that got rid of the condemnation for us. We wouldn't be judged for that sin. But he also stripped sin of its power and replaced it with his power. Sin no longer has to rule us. So that which destroyed us and destroys us, on the cross, Jesus says, let me destroy that. And sin was defeated in that moment. And if you think about it then, this is counterintuitive, but the cross has power not in that Jesus was nailed to the cross, but that sin was nailed to the cross. And through that power, we have the ability through Christ to say no to sin. Not everybody can do that, but only the people that have the power can. Secondly, the cross has the power to deflate self. It's not just our sin that's been put to death or that was put to death on the cross. Paul, throughout his epistles, talks about this. He says, we died to self. And so it was self that was put to death as well. And the cross means death to self. Now, we live in a world that's really, really fascinated with and, and, and crazed about pursuing self. And that's nothing new. But it takes on all kinds of different faces, doesn't it? There are some people that are really into self-importance. And so they're chasing after that self-importance. And, and, and so anything that will make them look good to other people, and they'll do anything, whether it's a position or, or whatever it takes to get to that position, to be self-important. Some people are really into self when it comes to something like self-sufficiency and self-dependency. I don't need anybody else. I can take care of that myself. It's, 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 re, it's reminiscent of, of the two-year-old. I don't need your help. You know, I can't tie my shoes. I can't get them on the right feet, but I don't need your help. But there's a lot of people going through life. I don't need anybody's help here. I'm a self-made man. I'm independent. And in our individualistic society, we see that everywhere. We see that pursuit of self-sufficiency. We see it in self-protection and self-preservation. Boy, don't we do that? That's why it's so easy to lie about anything, right? Because I'm just trying to protect myself here. And this is why I, you know, I retreat sometimes, even like in relationships, because I'm trying to protect myself. But we see the pursuit of self that way. Some people are into self in, in the pursuit of, of self-indulgence or self-gratification. What, what can I experience that will be you know, great for me? What can I have that I will really enjoy? How can I, you know, 
indulge myself in what's going on here. Some people are into what I would call self-actualization. I just have to get to know myself better, and, and I, have to, I have to pursue myself, and I have to grow myself, and I have to build myself, and, 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 they're, and they're all into bringing in uh, all this knowledge and, and information and whatever like that so, that so they can experience themselves in some great way. Some people are into what I would call self-governance. Like, don't tell me what to do. I, I want to be my own boss. But we see all these different um, manifestations of self in our world, and what the cross does, the cross is, hey, guess what? You don't have to be driven by self. And you don't have to worry so much about taking care of yourself. You can let go, and it actually deflates the ego, and it deflates self. And Paul's writing to this church here and says, hey, guess what? You need to go to the cross because you're all worried about your power and being important. And the cross tells you that, You're not all that, and you need to be okay with that. So in understanding this passage, what Paul is trying to do is say, hey, everybody needs to come together here. We need to stop fighting, and the power of the cross is going to help us do that. We can say no to this sin of fighting, and you know what? We can say no to this, this ego and this self that drives us here, which is creating these divisions in our church. But let's unpack this a little bit further. And it leads us to the third thing here. The cross has the power to discredit culture. And we've been talking about this, but we live in a culture of self everywhere around us. And we fall prey to it. And, and as I've mentioned before, it takes different faces and different manifestations, but it shows up in really practical ways too and things that we hear sometimes. Like, have you ever heard of this? You just need to take care of yourself. And by that we mean, you know what, you just need to make yourself happy. Or you just need to chase your own dreams here. Or you know what, you just need to love yourself a little bit more. Or you just need to do a little bit more of self-care, which usually means self-coddling. And that's sometimes what we say here, you know, you just need to take care of yourself. Or we hear things like this, you just need to believe in yourself. You, you, you just need to know that you are enough. Well, that's not a true statement. You're not enough. I don't mean that to be unkind. But we're only enough through Christ. We're never enough on our, our own. Or here's something else in the believe in yourself category. You know what is best for you. Or you just know what's best in general. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions and, and they don't mind sharing them. And why do they share them? Because they have it figured out. And it's part of this pursuit of self where you believe in yourself. So you stand up and say, this is what I believe. And Paul's world wasn't all that different from our world, was it? Because in, our, in Paul's world, man was about, you know, becoming the ultimate source or his own God. In our world, it's the same thing. And we start to interpret the world through our lens and how we see it and what's good for us and what we think and what makes sense to us. It's just that's not how it works. And the cross tells us that. Another thing that we hear sometimes is make something of yourself. Be the best version of you. Do what you need to do to be important. Even if that means bragging or bullying or intimidating or whatever it is. These all sound good, but the cross says otherwise. And what the cross does is it releases us from the slavery of self. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. It also spares us from the end game of self. And this is where we get into something that's really goes back to this idea of 
trail running or, or power hiking where something is counterintuitive because the more we pursue ourselves, that we moves God out of the picture. But if we get to the end of life without God, guess what? We end up on our own cross. But if you choose the cross instead, you get to the end of life. It's Christ who died on that cross and you can experience life. And what happens here is that God flips the script. The pursuit of him doesn't end with a cross, it ends with a resurrection. But the cross itself says something really interesting. It says, you know what, you're important. You're not important because you're something, you're important because you're loved. Enough that Jesus Christ came and died for you. And that meant something to these people because they were not the elite of society, they were the, the less thans. And the cross says, you know what? <laughs> you're not a less than, you're a more than. But through Jesus Christ. But that takes us down to a fourth thing here. And I think this is really important. And it's this, the cross has the power to define wisdom. The cross has the power to define wisdom. In fact, the cross is the ultimate example of God's wisdom but here's the ultimate example of God's wisdom is that he flips the script. And we're not going to take time this morning to read through verses 26 through 31. But if you read through this, this is where God is flipping the script. Where, where he takes, he says, you know what, we're going to take the weak things and we're going to make those strong. We're going to take the foolish things and we're going to make those wise. And he keeps flipping the script. And if you go through scripture, it makes sense. We hear that all the time. Weakness brings about strength. The least will be the greatest. We need to live to give and not to get. The last will be first. The humble, they will be lifted up. The proud, they will be put down. The leader should really be the servant. Your enemies, you need to love them. The giver, you should be a giver, not take. The fools, they can be considered wise. Death is the way to life. And living your life for yourself is the way to death. And all through scripture, what God does is this. Here's what wisdom says. Here's what culture says. Here's what the common thinking is. Here's what I say. And it looks foolish and it may even look scandalous. But this is what true wisdom is. And true wisdom is like walking up a hill in order to run faster. But it gives us permission then to not be about ourselves because God's not looking for impressive people. It doesn't matter to him. God's looking for people that are, aren't impressive and we all qualify. And it helps us avoid pride and it helps us avoid this, this pursuit of power and it helps us provide, uh, avoid all kinds of different things here. And so the foolishness or the selflessness of the cross then actually becomes the wise way to live. And this argument comes completely full circle with this last point here, and it's this. The cross has the power to declare victory in our lives. So when we can get to the place in our lives where it's not all about us, and not all about how hard we work to be good, 
and how impressed we get when we are there and how impressed other people are and maybe even enough to be our followers or, or we can line up in the camp with somebody else and where we, we keep going through all of these efforts so that we can puff ourselves and lift ourselves up. When we finally get there and then we're frustrated, Paul says, you know what we can do? We can just claim the power of the cross and all that stuff we don't have to worry about and instead we can experience victory. We can experience victory over the sin in our lives. It doesn't have to beat us up, knock us down, leave us in chains. We can have victory over the self-interest in our lives where so often we want to pursue ourselves. We can have victory in our relationships because it's going to bring about unity because we're not fighting to be bigger than or better than the person next to us. It, we can have victory in, in sorting through some of the lies that we hear in our culture all by embracing God's upside-down wisdom. And you know what? The other thing we can do, we can have victory in our life where the supernatural, where God's work in us, where the cross in us, where the, where, where the resurrection in us, where the Holy Spirit, where God's work in us actually becomes the driving force and the driving factor in our lives. And we can enjoy the supernatural, where God works in us and through us. And we can live in victory. Paul said it elsewhere in Galatians 2.20 this way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by the faith, or by, we could actually substitute the power of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself with, for me. And that's what it means to walk in power. The crazy thing is, the, the cross, by all appearances, was about anything but power. And yet, the ultimate power is found in the cross. In the ways that we seek power are actually powerless. But if we'll admit to our weakness and admit to our need for God, we can actually find power. And we all through the story find this reversal going on. But we're talking about walking in power. What does that mean? It means that I come to a cross. And in that cross, I realize that I'm not all that and that I need Jesus Christ. And I invite him into my story and he comes into my story. And that power that, nailed, that takes and nails my sin to the cross and that power actually nails myself to the cross, and that power actually gives me new life in Jesus Christ, and it gives me that ability to live above all of that stuff and to live for him where I can say on a daily basis, God, I need your help. I need your power. And he's like, we can do that. So the challenge this morning is simply this. Let's walk in power. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Sometimes it messes with us and challenges us and turns our thinking all different directions, but it's what we need to hear. So this morning, I just pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would communicate this idea that power is not ours, it's yours. It's available to us, but it's available through the cross. We can have victory over sin and we can have victory over self simply by not being so much about us, but being about you and looking to you for strength and for help. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. First question is, whether you're here watching online, is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ where you've allowed him to take your sin 
and nailed to a cross, where you've asked him to forgive you and then trust in his resurrection to give you new life yourself. It's a simple conversation between you and God where you can pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you, to give you new life. And you haven't done that, you can do that where you sit. It's a simple prayer between you and God. If you have questions about that, catch me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. If you've trusted Christ, if the power of, your, of the cross is part of your story, how could it be more a part of your story this morning? So as you reflect, maybe there's sin that you haven't been saying no to, that you need to say no to. You have that power. And maybe you've been about yourself, and maybe it's from the idea of indulgence to maybe the idea of just trusting your own wisdom and thinking that you know better about everything, even better than God knows. And maybe you need to let go of that self. Maybe there's just a, a, a pursuit in life that you need to, to follow that you've been trying to do it all on your own and you need to say, okay, I'm giving up on that, God. I need your help in this. I don't know what it is, but where will you claim that power? Where will you walk in the power of the cross? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take this truth and apply it to our hearts. I pray that as we go through this week where we are tempted to lean into self Holy Spirit, please speak up in our hearts and say, whoa, that's not right. I pray that you would help us to walk in the power of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.